Good morning. If you're visiting with us, then uh, let me extend to you a very warm welcome. It's, it's half term and there's a number of our families away, so there, there may be some of you who uh, don't know me. My name's Derek and I'm a member here at Hebron. And this morning we're going to continue in our series of studies in the book of Romans. Our, our text for this morning is just, just one verse. We're going to be looking at chapter 8 and verse 1. Um, it's going to appear on the screen behind me. Let's, let's read it together aloud since it is just one verse. We're reading from the ESV translation um, and it goes like this. Let's say it together. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's just commit our time for the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, this opportunity to to gather together as your people, as living stones, as Ollie reminded us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, here to worship you and to give glory to your name. And Father, as we consider your word now, Lord, we pray that you'd speak to our hearts, that you would challenge our minds, that you would encourage us to, to love you and to know you better. Father, we pray that you would um, just let us see more of you as we, as we think upon you this morning. In your precious son's name. Amen. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. One short verse. Thirteen words long in most English translations, yet profound, limitless in its reach, and awesome in its impact. This is the very love story of God on display, captured in one short sentence. This is mercy. This is grace. This is hope. This is promise fulfilled and delivered. It's the legal basis on which one can stand. This is God's rescue plan for his people, all rolled up into one short statement. And Paul brings it to bear here on the, the, the mountain top of his letter to the Romans. And this, this section to the people of Rome, but it doesn't just have implications for the Romans. It has implications for you and I here today. I'm sure you're familiar with the five P's. Proper preparation prevents poor performance. I have three P's this morning. Prelude, promise and people. Prelude, promise, and people. And it follows the chronological structure of the verse. Firstly then, the prelude. The verse 3 words of this verse, the there is therefore statement, indicate that there is a bridge, that there is a link back to what Paul has been saying previously so that one can relate to what he has to say now. And you can be forgiven for thinking that this is just a continuation of what we, what we read and what we heard from chapter 7 last week. But it goes back further than chapter 7. It's actually more closely related to what Paul had to say in chapter 5, both grammatically and thematically, before he goes off to write a tangent in verses 6 and 7. So if we're to understand this verse in all of its context, we need to go back to chapter 5 and to the last few verses. Turn with me to them, please. We're going to read from verse 15. And this is going to bring out our verse in its context. Chapter 5, verse 15, through to the end of the chapter, says this. And I'll read it slowly because there's a lot in here. 
But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's obedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you can continue that with, with verse 1 from chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can see and hear the link, can't you? Our, our verse in chapter 8 from verse 1, it's the reconclusion of this. It's the reiteration of it. Of it. You, have, you have verse 18 of chapter 5 speaking of man's condemnation through Adam's act of original sin. And now you have that condemnation removed through Christ Jesus for as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. In chapter 5, prior to Paul's digression in chapter 6 and 7, he's been making the argument that Christians are set free from condemnation because of their union in Christ. And then he comes back to it here in this very first verse from chapter 8 to reinforce the point before he moves on through the rest of the chapter to assure Christians of their eternal hope. It's almost like a pause, a reminder to his audience Hold up. Remember. Remember what I was saying. Get back on point. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The first seven chapters that we have been through as a church, as we have studied the Romans, have laid it all out for us. We have heard about a holy God. We've heard about sinful man, about the coming wrath. We have read of the perfect Saviour. Jesus Christ who was crucified and risen. We have studied justification by faith and also sanctification by faith. And now Paul sums up the message of Christianity in this great conclusion in Romans 8 and 1. Therefore, in view of all those things, in view of all that I have just said before, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That's Christianity in a nutshell. That's the central truth, the foundational message of God to the world. And that is what we are to announce. That's what we're to plead. That's what we are to lay down our lives and communicate to the nations and to the neighborhood around us. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
I wonder if we need a there is therefore moment in our life. Do we need a moment to pause and reflect? To consider all that we know. All that has been taught to us, all that has been invested to us, all that has been explained to us and revealed to us. Do we need to stop and just put our head above the everyday? Do we need to stop and just put our foot on the ball for a moment and come back to that point? That reminder where we take stock of the prelude and then remind ourselves that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Does that truth resonate with us today? Does it permeate our beings? Or are we too busy focused in on religious debate, doing church and the humdrum of daily life to actually look up and to rekindle within us that focus on the one who caused the therefore. The prelude is important. We need a crucified and risen saviour. We need to be justified and we need to be sanctified, but we can't enjoy the liberty that Christ brings if we are not living knowingly in the freedom of being free from condemnation. We cannot reach others for Christ if we think them eternally condemned. We cannot live our lives as Christ, as people for Christ, thinking that we are condemned. I remember reading just a couple of months ago um, in Christianity Today or, or the Gospel Coalition, a prayer for Afghanistan as the, as the Taliban bulldozed their way through the country. And in this in this article that the, the author wrote, he was highlighting things to pray for. And the last thing that he said to pray for was the, was the Taliban. And he was commenting that many of us don't think or seek to pray for those people because we, we think that their, their sin is too great and they can't be forgiven. But that's not our place to judge, he said. And the other thing that he commented on is we, we think that they're too far gone. And he was reminding us how small-minded that thought process is. No one is too far gone for Jesus. He who is in Christ no longer has condemnation. That is the promise of the gospel. That is the promise that you and I have come to know. The second P, the promise is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The term that Paul uses here is a legal term, but it's not a term that only conveys the meaning of not being condemned. Rather, it's stronger than that. It means that we are completely free from any debt or penalty. Not only are we not under condemnation, but condemnation for those who are in Christ doesn't exist anymore. It's gone forever, and it can't exist against us. No charge can be made against us. It cannot condemn us. Now, it's not because we don't deserve to be condemned. Of course we do. Paul has just built a case right through Romans for both Jew and Gentile. No one can escape before a holy God. We've seen that point labored again and again. We know that no one can measure up to God's standard. Everyone has fallen short. Nobody can stand boldly before God with their record exposed. Everyone on their own merit alone just on that basis, should be concerned with God's condemnation. 
Except that Paul says here, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Sam Storms, the American theologian, comments, if you're in Christ Jesus, there is no valid reason why you should ever experience fear or apprehension about your relationship with God or your eternal destiny again. That's amazing, isn't it? That is the depth of this promise. Does that not speak to those of us who struggle with doubt? It's not just a promise to move you from one state to another, from condemned to not condemned, but rather a promise to remove that condemnation altogether. For if you are in Christ, you can never have it put over you again. It's crucial that we understand that. We're not in some kind of state of permanent flux. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in seeking to make that point, puts it this way when addressing those who would think like that. He said this, Those people, they seem to think of the Christian as someone who, if they confess their sin and ask for forgiveness, is forgiven. At that moment, they're back, not under condemnation. But then if they should sin again, they are back once more under condemnation. Then they repent and confess their sin again and ask for pardon and they are cleansed once more. So to them, the Christian is someone who is constantly passing from one state to the other, back and forth, condemned, not condemned. Now that, he writes, according to the Apostle Paul, is a wholly mistaken notion and a complete failure to understand the position. The Christian is someone who can never be condemned. They can never come into a state of condemnation again. No condemnation. The apostle is not speaking about his experience, but about his position, his standing, his status. He is in a position in which being justified, he can never come under condemnation again. Lloyd-Jones says that the meaning of the word no in this sentence is never. Paul doesn't write here in the past tense or indeed the future tense. He's writing in the present. And for the Christian, it doesn't have any strings attached. It's written for every hearer and reader of the word. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. This is not something that just applies when we get older or more mature. This is not something that just applies when we have more discernment or become wiser. This is not something that just applies when we overcome sinful habits or when we live less apathetically. It doesn't just apply when we get round to dealing with our baggage or when we overcome the hurt inflicted on us by others. It's not dependent on our theological understanding or on us having a set knowledge of Scripture. It doesn't rely on people treating us nicely or having a greater respect for us. It's not awarded upon merit, praise, adulation or any good works. There is nothing, absolutely nothing conditional about the promise of no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the promise and we are to understand it that big. We are to hear it that loud. We are to fully embrace the promise that for those in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. Is that promise always easy to grasp? 
is it always easy to comprehend? We live in a world that condemns. We live in a world that says you can be all things, have all things, do all things. For all things are equal, yet at the same time, we live in a world that divides, judges, champions some and persecutes others based on all sorts of things. And it's easy to get into that mold of feeling as one who is under condemnation. Perhaps you feel condemned by your circumstances. Perhaps you feel condemned by those you report to at work. Perhaps you feel condemned by the system. Perhaps you feel condemned by your relationships. Perhaps you feel condemned by your doubts or your troubles. Your sinfulness or just your general apathy to living out 21st century life as a Christian. If that's you today, and it has certainly been me, then let me encourage you here to remind yourself that if you are in Christ, if you know the one who caused the therefore, then he has promised you freedom from everything, everything, underline the everything, that you feel condemns you. He has granted you glorious freedom, eternal freedom, freedom without end. He has brought you with a price. He has unified you with Christ. And he says, condemned you are no more. I was listening to a Christian song this this week on my commute into work by a band called Maverick City Music. And it reminded me of this promise. It's called, I Thank God, and it goes like this. I'm not going to sing it. Don't worry. It says this, Wandering into the night, wanting a place to hide, this weary soul, this bag of bones, and I tried with all my might, and I just can't win the fight. I'm slowly drifting, O vagabond. And just when I ran out of road, I met a man I didn't know. And he told me that I was not alone. He picked me up. He turned me round. He placed my feet on solid ground. I thank the Master. I thank the Saviour. Because he healed my heart. He changed my name. Forever free, I'm not the same. I thank the Master. I thank the Saviour. I thank God. Forever free, we are not the same. Amen? That's the promise. That's what Paul is saying here. This is what Christ offers you. This promise, and it's applicable to who? To us, to people. This is the third P. This verse is very specific in relation to who it applies to. It's the only caveat. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not everyone can lay claim to that. Not everyone can say there is now no condemnation over my life. No, only those who can say they are in Christ Jesus can make that claim. Some people are in him and some people are not. This is what Paul says throughout all of his writings. There are those that are in Christ and there are those who are outside. Paul is not a universalist. He says explicitly in Romans 9 and 3 with grief and I'm sure through tears that there are those who are accursed, cut off from Christ. It's the opposite of these precious words in Christ 
The terrible phrase being cut off from Christ. The question is, the question that Paul prompts is, where are you? Are you in Christ or separated from Christ? To labour the point, only by being in Christ does Christ's condemnation become your condemnation. If you want to be able to say now and indeed at the day of judgment that there is no condemnation for me, then you can only say that if Jesus has endured it for you. You have to be in Jesus. If you're in him, what happened to him happened to you. If you're separated from him, you have no right to say what happened to him happened to you. Some people, of course, will challenge this with a different view. Some may argue, does it not say that he died for the whole world? He is, after all, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Yes, indeed. But what that means is that there's infinite room in Jesus. Christ isn't just some kind of small hotel. He has prepared many rooms in his Father's mansion. There is room for everyone and everyone is invited and indeed commanded to come. Matthew 11 and 28. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. Revelation 22 and verse 17. Let those who are thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost come. John 6 and 37. The one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. But what if you don't come? What if you don't believe? What if you don't receive the free gift that Jesus offers? John 3 and 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides in him. The wrath of God, the condemnation of God is only taken away in Christ not outside of Christ. We must understand that. We must grasp that. We must consider its implications. It should spur us as Christians to share our faith, to live out our faith, to proclaim the truth to this weary, meandering world, to speak out to those living under fear of condemnation and to tell them that in Christ there is no condemnation. Indeed, there is liberty, there is freedom. In Christ there is certainty. In Christ there is perfection. In Christ there is comfort. In Christ there is protection. In Christ there is peace. In Christ there is unbridled love. In Christ there is the hope of glory. So where are you this morning? In Christ or outside of Christ? Free from condemnation or under condemnation? You don't have to stay under condemnation. There is room in Jesus. And there will always be room in Jesus. And Christ's words to every sinner are, Come, trust me, enter. I will be your life. I will be your righteousness. I will be your pardon. Because I have been your condemnation. Now don't mishear me this morning. I'm not seeking to prompt those who are in Christ into really questioning their faith. I'm not seeking to ask you to question whether you're really in Christ or not. Rather, I'm asking you to hear this twofold. One, that we hear this 
and tell those who are yet to know Jesus about him. And then secondly, to remind you of the prelude, to remind you of all that has gone before, to remind you of the promise that is current, and to be, for you to be assured that you now, being in Christ, have no condemnation. And that assurance of no condemnation makes a big difference to us as people. It makes a difference for us in the everyday. It makes a difference for those of us who are enduring physical pain and in ill health. Perhaps health that is on the steady decline for death and passing look more likely than healing. It's in these instances that the accuser, the devil, can come and work at our minds and tell us that God's punishment is for us and that we live under this condemnation. And to that attack, then let me encourage you to answer it with Romans 8 and verse 1. For if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. He is my Savior. He is my righteousness. In my suffering, let him be glorified. For those of us struggling in our marriages and in our relationships, for it has become hard to show grace and forgiveness for the wrongs that we have fought, felt, where our sin and our shame seem to be interfering with our ability to move forward and where our vision is clouded. Let Romans 8 and verse 1 be your answer. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Our future is free and glorious. May it prompt us to show mercy and love, forgiveness and kindness. And in the light of his goodness and grace, may that manifest itself into investing in our relationships with others. For those of us with addiction, addictions that we bury away in the deepness of our hearts and beings, addiction to power or to money, to food or to drink, to pornography or to status. Addictions that eat away at our soul. For when we become entrenched and weighed down and feel like we're living under condemnation of our affliction and can't seem to release ourselves from the spiral, then answer it with Romans 8 and verse 1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Take hold of that promise. His grace covers a multitude of sins, past, present and future. Lean into him. Seek him and be changed by him. It's him who is our answer in our spiraling moments. It's him when our sin gets on top of us. It's him when the world would condemn us. It's him we need to seek when we mess up. Jesus does not operate a yo-yo condemnation. We can't skip from being under condemnation to being free from condemnation, then back to condemnation and so on. The condemnation is removed completely and wholly for those who are in Christ Jesus. Matt Chandler explains it like this when he says, the litmus test of whether you understand the gospel or not is what you do when you fail. Do you run away from God? And try and clean yourself up a bit before you come back to the throne room? Or do you approach the throne rather with grace and with confidence? If you don't approach the throne of grace with confidence, you don't understand the gospel. You're most offensive to God when you come to him with all your efforts, when you're still trying to earn 
that what he has freely given. Are you familiar with the film Moneyball? It's a a movie based on real-life events in which uh, Brad Pitt starts as the general manager of the Oakland Athletics, a baseball team who in the 2002 uh, season, with a very limited budget, devised a way of assembling a team of winning players made up on on a shoestring budget purely on some mathematical performance algorithms around key skill subsets. And defying the odds, this this apparent team of, of nomads and underachievers, they combine together to set an American League record by winning 20 consecutive games. And in that movie, there's this, this scene where, where Pitt is watching uh, a junior uh, game on TV. And in that, that game, and please, if you're American, forgive me for uh, my interpretation of their positions... Um, the catcher takes up the batting uh, position and the ball is thrown and he he hits it long and hard and he disappears off home base and makes a run for for first base and he's about to do something that he's never done before in his career and head for second base but he stops he stops and he crawls back to the security of first base he clings to first base like a frightened child it's his nightmare And Pep watching this, he he comments that they're all laughing at him. And they were laughing at him. But the reason that they were laughing at this catcher was because unbeknown to him, he had actually sent the ball 60 feet over the fence. He had hit a home run and he didn't even realize it. And Pep watches on as the catcher finally discovers how well he's actually done. And the catcher proceeds to jubilantly run round the bases for home. This is a picture of what Romans 8 and verse 1 tells us. We don't have to cling to first base. Christ has already hit the home run for us. His righteousness has been credited to our account and we are now at peace with God. We don't have to live in fear, carefully crawling and then clinging to first base. Instead, we can jubilantly run out our race as we head toward our eternal home. Church, that's the message of Romans 8 and verse 1. For those who are in Christ, for those who have come to know him, we've been bought with a price, we have been justified, and we are being sanctified. That's the prelude. Then there's the promise, and that's that our sin, he considers it no more. Not only does he not consider it, but the very idea, the very notion has gone. We live no longer under the threat of condemnation. And this applies to people. It applies to you and to me. People who know Christ. People who have come to rely on his merit. People who know and enjoy his mercy and his grace. And if you're in Christ this morning, then live in that freedom. Enjoy that freedom. Make your run round the bases jubilantly as you head toward home. If you don't know Christ this morning, then the door isn't closed. You can know him and his goodness today if you acknowledge your shortcomings and you ask for his grace. And condemned you will be no more. God is good all the time. 
all the time, God is good and he'd gladly welcome you home too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that where our sin is present, your grace abounds. Father, for where we fall so short, Jesus bridged the gap on our behalf. And Lord, we pray that we would be reminded as a church, as as people, of your goodness and your grace. Father, that where we have fears and doubts, where we feel that we're just coming up short, Lord, we pray that you would remind us and speak into us and encourage us that we have no condemnation for when we are in you. Lord, the world is full of naysayers and we pray that we would live out freedom in you knowing that you are the one who has hit the home run for us. And Lord, that we can pursue you confidently and rely on your grace to cover all of our sin. And Father, if there's anyone here who has yet to know you this morning, Lord, I pray that you would challenge their minds and speak deep into their soul. Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them and that they too would know the hope of glory that exists solely in you. Lord, be with us this week, I pray, in your precious Son's name. Amen.